0: You, know, you think of it as you start at the cliff, right? And you jump and there are all these different safety nets you have to fall through or different like pitfalls you have to get through to get to the next level. And when I really thought about it realistically and logically, I was like, okay, I have savings. If I quit my job and within six months I've burned through more than I want to, then you know I get a full-time job again, yep. end of story. Yep. Or if I'm stubborn and I'm like, okay, I don't want the full-time job, keep trying to freelance, scraping by, maybe burning through more savings other worst-case scenario. I moved to a cheaper city and like depending on what you're willing to barter to do the work you want to do and have the career you want to have it's everyone's got a different risk tolerance and it's really important if you're making any risky decisions or things you're scared about to really just write it down or draw it out whatever works for you.
1: (laughs) Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. Creative Pep Talk helps you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with Creative Pep Talk and my creative work by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. uh okay so today on the show is a special occasion and we're gonna have lauren hum uh of hum sweet hum design you can go to h-o-m sweet h-o-m dot com or at h-o-m sweet h-o-m uh on instagram and check out her amazing instagram Lauren is a fantastic lettering artist and she know the reason I wanted to talk to her, um, not only is she just really, really good at putting her personality onto a page and do so with really high levels of technique, she's also a master of uh, personal projects and marketing her work and getting her personal brand out there. And uh, you know, I think that, she brought crazy amounts of value to this interview. Uh, she did not stop firing these crazy, uh, amazing ideas at me for an hour and a half. And uh, it was a super good time. I had a blast hanging out with her. And I know that you guys are going to love this episode. So without further ado, here is Lauren Hom. Lauren I feel like one of the things that I haven't talked about on the podcast that I think is um, an an interesting topic is this idea that uh, being your own little mini media company and knowing a lot about, a little about a lot of things. And have to hack it together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and actually uh, growing up messing with GarageBand, messing with iMovie, messing with cameras and audio totally. just slightly, and then drawing a lot, and then putting all those things together seem to turn into exactly. something. Exactly.
0: You, you know, make what you can with what you have available to you, and not everyone has the same resources, but that usually yields really interesting results, and I've I've talked about this in a couple interviews, but I honestly think over talent, over motivation, resourcefulness is the number one quality, I would say, if I was hiring, which I rarely am, but yeah. <laughs> uh, that I look for in younger creatives or in people, because if you can make a lot with a little and you figure out, you know, you get like the two sticks and the string and you can make something, that I think is, there's no monetary value. You figure can figure out how to get it done. You can't teach that either. or yeah. And that's what creativity is too, is not just being creative within your work, but being creative in how you do the work, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, oh, I can't afford Final Cut Pro this year, but my iMac came with iMovie. Yes. Let me figure out how to hack this together. And I'm not sure if you've talked about this in any other episodes, but oftentimes good enough is good enough in terms of you got it out there, you put it together, like you shared it, like it was good enough yes. for what you needed it to be. And you learn a little bit more as you go. And
1: Yeah, that's super good. And I think about, I talk about this idea that, you know, as creatives we get so entrenched in our little medium and maybe you're using giant amounts of creativity on your illustration, but you're not taking any of that same resourcefulness or creativity and applying it to your career, applying it to your marketing, applying it to how you send emails to somebody. Like how do you use that same gene that makes you creative and get the most out of all your different interactions? Mm -hmm. I definitely think that's true. Um, So uh, I have a really, Serious podcast, as you know, it's yes. very serious. Controversial topics, hard-hitting journalism, and so I always want to start out with something really serious. Are you ready?
0: Yes. I'm okay.
1: Ready. I heard you're an expert on this topic. I think yeah. I know you're going to ask me. We'll it's see. The same we'll thing. see. Okay. Uh, here's the question: Regular or flaming hot Cheetos?
0: I knew it! How did you know? I knew it! Uh, it's Flaming Hot, 100%. All right, I okay, just, that's,
1: it's a little controversial.
0: I was just, and I don't know if it's a California thing or what, but I was, I think I just, uh, I called my best friend the other night and I was like, the motel we're staying
1: in in Detroit,
0: five kinds of Flaming Hot Cheetos in the vending machine. What? I know! <laughs> that's a sign. I know, that's a sign and some from people don't above. even know that five types of Flaming Hot Cheetos exist.
1: Yes, now, okay, I'm glad we got that off the table. The other side of it is, though, uh, what about the new natural Cheetos? Have you tried these? The baked ones? They're I don't know if they're baked. I just I think they're like seeds. organic.
0: Oh, do they have like the kind of like brown woody packaging? Yeah, oh
1: so you know that it's You put organic. a leaf
0: or like any kind of natural wood and it's automatically it's organic, natural. Um, I had a I had a brief stint with baked hot Cheetos mm. and they we just tried it. They discontinued them, I think, because they weren't selling very well. Because if you're going to eat Cheetos, you may as well go all the way. But my boyfriend actually ordered some on Amazon and got a pallet of 40 bags sent to me. And I went through them very quickly. One other Cheeto story I will share that's pretty disgusting, but not a lot of people know, is in college. Um, I had a high school sweetheart in high school. We dated into college. For Valentine's Day, yes, yeah, exactly. Navigating (laughs) a relationship and college in a new city—of course, this is going to be great. Uh, (laughs) It's going to work. We're meant to be. So I, I grew up watching a lot of Food Network, and there was a show called Unwrapped. Are you Mm. familiar with it? They show you Mm. behind the scenes of how your favorite foods are made, which is Uh. terrifying. And they went to a Cheeto factory, and there was a Cheeto expert, which is a job apparently. The residue, and I learned this. Mom's proud. The residue that's left over on your fingers after you eat Cheeto has a technical term in Cheeto world. It's called Cheetle, like beetle, but Cheetle. (laughs) Oh my gosh! I that's like my snapple fact that I always kind of spit out after a couple glasses of wine. I'm sober. (laughs) Um, That is ridiculous. When I said five minutes, I'll be (laughs) done. Yeah, and so. I had told him about it, and I was like, oh, like, it'd be great if they just sold extra cheese powder and called it Cheeto, so I could dump extra cheese powder into my Cheetos, <laughs> shake it up. Because I always complained, because he used to see me eat Cheetos, I'd pick out the ones with the most cheese dust on them. Yeah. So for Valentine's Day, he gave me this tiny little box, and it was a baby food jar filled with Cheeto dust. Oh my hot God. Cheeto dust. <laughs> filled to the brim. So I'm like, maybe like three, two, three ounces of Cheeto dust. And I was like, what? And it, it, on the label, he had made a label that said, like, Hand, like, harvested our teas and old Cheetle, and I was like, He's like, I sat there with a razor blade and scraped oh my the gosh. cheese powder. And
1: you left him? How dare <laughs> you!
0: He left me, actually. Okay,
1: right. You, you know, don't leave college.
0: That exactly. I knew. Uh,
1: that is hilarious. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, a cheetah without food coloring? No. Oh, don't.
0: Oh, look no. At it. Don't,
1: I don't want to ruin it for you. It's okay. I don't even okay. want to tell you it's anymore. Cool. I've That's already good. said too much. I knew that uh, was going to be
0: the question you asked because it's been a part of my artist bio for four years. Really? And I've never <laughs> once been reached out to you by Frida lay being like, hey, what? do you want some Cheetos? Um, it's free marketing. You need oh to my get, gosh. Yeah, you
1: need to get on it. I job, have people
0: show that. up to my workshops or like speaking things with bags of Cheetos for me. That's hilarious. So, and I was I was talking with, do you follow uh, Gemma O'Brien, Mrs. Eves on Instagram? No. Another amazing female like lettering artist. I was t- telling her about that. How people bring me cheetahs, and she was like, "Wow! Like, I should just put like I love money and diamonds in yeah. my profile." Oh,
1: <laughs> and I, yeah, I actually have the same kind of thing where people are always like, "I'll buy you a pizza," and mm-hmm. all this. And the weird thing for me is that I'm almost like an ex-pizza holic. So it's oh. kind of a twisted relationship where I'm like, "How did you please don't buy me pizza? I love pizza too much. It's unhealthy. Yes,
0: no, I, uh, yeah. I feel so. yeah because it becomes a part of your brand. I mean, it's it's literally <laughs> in your to, brand but name. But yeah, but for me, um, that kind of happened. The other podcast that I did in this last year was uh, Phoebe and Roxy do drunk on lettering. Have you I've heard of it? Yeah. Okay, so. Their whole premise is you get shit-faced. And, yeah. Can I curse on here? <laughs> yeah, you can, get yeah. shit-faced and you talk about your career, which is, yeah. I love the premise of that. It's That's like crazy. drunk history, but yeah. with your favorite designers.
1: Yeah, I have friends that have done it.
0: But they happened to interview me during my brief four-month stint of so- sobriety right. where, it, I you know, I, I had traveled. I was tired. Yeah. I was like, you know what? For health reasons, I'm going to stop drinking. And it felt great. I will mm-hmm. say it felt great. I drink much less now. But yeah. prior to
1: that, part of
0: my like persona they online- got you
1: back on the bandwagon.
0: Part of my, yeah, part of my persona though was like, I love wine and like, you know, I'm the fun girl you can drink wine with. So I felt very conflicted about that. Mm. Like something that people know you for, that you've talked about that on your personal life, you tried Mm. to make a positive lifestyle change, right? Like, it is weird.
1: It's weird. Yeah,
0: And these things, these small things that you don't really think about, it's fun at first, right? Like Andy J Pizza or yes. like, you know, Cheeto lover, me. <laughs> you don't think about it until you build a following around yeah. it and people, you can't shake it. Yeah, if I took that out so tomorrow, funny. people would still bring me Cheetos, I bet.
1: Like, I don't want any more Cheetos, yeah. I'm trying to quit Cheetos. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yep. Uh, all right, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll go on to some other topics, maybe. Maybe we'll circle back to that. I could do an hour on Cheetos, for sure. <laughs> uh, so I know who you are. You've got over 100,000 or so followers on Instagram. <laughs> but for the sliver of folks that maybe don't know you work, uh, what, how would you describe yourself and what you do?
0: Yeah, um, I am a hand lettering artist who's kind of turned passion projects into a full-time career. I'm actually an ex-advertising art director um, who just started lettering as a hobby and put the work out there and made a bunch of weird shit and put it on the internet and now it's my full-time job. So I always, and I find a lot of designers have a hard time being like, what am I? And like, I call myself an illustrator now, illustrator, letterer, designer sometimes, copywriter sometimes, marketer sometimes, mm. kind of jack of, jack of all trades? Yeah, What's the female right. of jack? I jack Jack S the of all trades. <laughs> Jackie of all
1: trades, I've never. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
0: that's good. Um, yeah, I've been, whenever friends leave now, and they're like, I'll be right back, I'll say, okay, I'll woman the fort. And so I've been trying to like, find like <laughs> that's good. female yeah, like alternatives that. for things too. So that's jack funny. of all trades.
1: Yeah,
0: I dip my toes in everything creatively and I don't see a problem with it. Yeah, it no, makes me happy. Not. So I,
1: I do think there's a there's like a having a, a central competency that mm-hmm. you really are fantastic at that um, you can kind of do as a pro, and then all these little add-ons that help you differentiate yes. seem to be a real game changer. I
0: think that's that's a re- great way to put it because oftentimes you hear like specialize, 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 like jack of all trades, master of none. But yeah once you achieve kind of that pro or like mastery around one thing, that's when you can really expand, I, yes. I think. And if you're average at five things, then yeah, of course it's not good. But if you do shine at one thing, I talked about this in my last lecture, like just because I'm a letterer doesn't mean I have to do lettering for the next 70 years of my
1: life. Totally true. I just yes. gave myself
0: a life expect expectancy of 96, <laughs> which is pretty good. No, that's not bad. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I feel like we we get so locked into this is what I am, like we label ourselves because mm. as when you're starting out you're so eager to try to find that identity and find that label. Find your
1: gift, find your thing. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And that can be a good thing, but on the other a, side of that hill, it you can box yourself in. Um, yes. and if I don't feel like lettering, you know, I I won't letter and I always tell people like I think I'm going to have 5 or 10 mini careers in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I have it I should put it on my Google Calendar for like 20, 50 something. Yeah. Where when I turned 60, I told myself that I would learn to start tattooing. I thought that would be the perfect time
1: to start Once you have a full career of like drawing and doing all that, you're ready to take on people. Exactly. Draw. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. The ultimate canvas. Yeah. And I talk about it like uh, <laughs> uh, this idea that you do need to work to be able to fit into a crowd in terms of like a proficiency where you can go toe-to-toe with mm-hmm. the masters in a field, but then once you're in that place, then it's not enough to just be the best at this little thing. You got to have other things. Once you fit in, then you have to figure out how you're going to stand out.
0: That's like a great strategy because it's true. Like when we were walking over here, it's unrealistic to think that just by the only way to be good or successful as an artist is to be the best. Yeah. That is unrealistic by definition like there's only one of those in each category yeah. right and i am yeah. a big believer you don't have to be the best you just have to stand out and differentiate and figure out like what's your thing and you know it's a little hippy dippy but i definitely believe in the abundance mindset if there's mm. enough work to go around people often come to me and say like lettering is so saturated now i'm scared to give it a shot because it's harder to make it and that's one way to look at it but i also i argue against that that Lettering being more saturated and popular now is good overall for the industry because that means that the average person is more likely to know about lettering. Totally true. Whereas 5 10 years ago, like type typography what? Like yep. lettering what? And now that like maybe an average mom and pop an established yes, thing. You know, what happens is, you know, the first trendy coffee shop in the neighborhood has a hand-lettered chalkboard and then all the other businesses start to have chalkboards and It makes more work in the long run if you believe that there's going to be enough work
1: to go out. I also (laughs) think the world is a lot bigger than we think and these trends or the way that the movements happen I feel like especially if you're a creative person you have your uh, the hand on the pulse at the kind of edge of culture and so sometimes I'll see a lot of people who will they'll get into something and they'll think oh well it's too late it's already done and I'm like yeah, but you're a creative person, way out there on the edges of culture. This has not even touched the person in Wyoming. The guys th- they don't know anything about lettering. They don't, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Wyoming, please don't hate me. I was just joking. I live in Ohio. You know, it's not. I have that a
0: great different. story about that. about Wyoming. No, about oh. what you just did. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> so it's, it's ironic we're in Ohio right now yeah. because my first. I wouldn't call it a PR fiasco, but it was my first slight debacle. <laughs>
1: I'm interested. Yeah, let's hear that. <laughs>
0: um, a So I did a project called will Letter for Lunch where I lettered uh, chalkboard menus for restaurants in exchange for food in New York. Yes, i about this. Went around the internet, people were excited about it. A reporter from New York Magazine came and interviewed me, and I was super excited. She had a recorder, and she was like, do you mind if I record so I can take notes? Like, don't worry, it won't be transcribed, totally fine. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And she asked me, what do you love about New York? And I said, oh, like, I love that. And it was for their food section. So I was like, I love that in New York, you can get any kind of food, any time of the day. Like, it's such like a foodie culture. If you don't like food and you live in New York, I don't know what you're doing. You should just move to Cleveland or something. (laughs) And... To say oh was gosh. you should move somewhere that's not New York, yeah, and for some hilarious. reason I will in my you should defense. Go
1: to that terrible place, Cleveland. Oh no!
0: And if you live in Cleveland, I apologize. No, but what I, I meant know to say—people, we love you. What I meant to say was go anywhere else except, or don't live in New York and. I had been watching a lot of How I Met Your Mother and Mm -hmm. they rip on Cleveland all the time so it was subconsciously (laughs) in my brain and so I should have just bit my tongue and said nothing but she ended up using it as the finisher for her article and people in the comments were just going off on me. I was 23, (laughs) didn't know anything and (laughs) they were just questioning my, you know. Dude,
1: that's hilarious. Well, I'm glad you have this moment to make things right. We don't have quite the same reach as, what was it, The New Yorker? New York Magazine. New York Magazine. Uh, But hopefully some of those people will yes. now be appeased and you've spoken to peace <laughs> uh that's hilarious uh so all right you did your the the first major side project you'd done and and side projects and passion projects have been a massive part of your career you teach a Absolutely. class on it you're it's the you're, backbone you're, you're of my career still about passion projects <laughs> uh and i am too everybody on that listen to this podcast know that uh Now, it seems like your first project, the Daily Dishonesty Project, kind of happened organically, um, and you probably learned some things. My question is this. After you did that project and then going forward, have you learned, like, strategies for what makes a good passion project? Like, have you learned little tricks and things to kind of add layers of strategy to them? what? What makes a good passion project for you?
0: Absolutely. It was totally a learning experience. Like you said, it my first passion project was an accident. I didn't even know it was going to be what it turned into. It was a Tumblr blog I started. I was 22 years old, senior in college, um, inspired from a drunk conversation I had with a girlfriend. And yeah. just, you know, on a whim decided to make it um, mm. because there was really no other reason than I wanted to make it and wanted to share it with my friends. Yeah. And, I always tell my students, like the first place you should share your projects is with your inner circle and your friends, because you never know who knows somebody. And even if you only have ten followers, ten's better than zero. And
1: yeah,
0: I think what I learned from that experience in particular was the power of simply sharing your work and putting it out there. And the success that was, I'd say, that's in the top three most successful passion projects I've launched, and it was yeah. an accident. Yeah. it was not intentional. And so, I. Like I said, just did it out of, for no other reason than I wanted to, and I, what I learned from that was that I could market my work on my own. I didn't need, uh, you know, and Tumblr is a platform, Instagram, the same way Instagram's a platform, but there were no other tricks than to just put the work out there, and what I realized, and this is, there's like a Bill Gates quote about, like, if you give the laziest person in the office a task, they'll find the quickest way to do it. And right, so he's yeah. he was arguing that laziness is not always a bad thing. And so if, I agree. You yeah. get more creative. And yeah. my whole thing, you know, I understand the, I think, work hard, like do more work, like, put in the work ethic mentality, mm-hmm. but if I'm being realistic, I'd rather do less work for the same result. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that makes me lazy or a bad person, I think it makes me smarter and efficient. Uh, and efficient. Exactly, yeah. cuz you have a finite amount of time and energy to put into your work in a day. Like you may as well free up some of it for either more creative work or whatever else you like to do. Yeah. But what I realized was I could do less work if I made projects that people shared for me. Mm. Why would I instead of me reaching out to publications or me reaching out and trying to spread my project, why don't I let other people organically share it for me and so Back to your question, a thing that I've pinpointed that makes a really great passion project is that sense of, I call it a an oh my god, me too moment. And so what that is, is it's that knee-jerk reaction you have to either a conversation, a joke, something you see online where you see yourself in it immediately. And I think the analogy I always use is like, you know, when you're at a party and you meet someone for the first time and They like all your favorite bands and you like all the same movies and you both studied abroad in spain you're like what like no way me too Mm -hmm. and that feeling from that interaction is really really powerful and it makes you pay attention and it makes you you know almost root for that person there's a like a emotional connection there so i teach my students you know the oh my god me too moment and the way to kind of distill something down to an oh my god me too moment is what are things? I call it the group text test. I have all these little like quips. I yeah. So the group text test is. These are awesome. Thank I love you. It. Oh my gosh, I'm eating it up. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you'll have a lot of stuff to work with in I terms do. of. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I a lot of us have text message groups or messenger groups with our friends, and we send random stuff, gifs, memes, jokes, whatever. It used to be
1: email forwards. Used you know, to be
0: email forwards. Some people have Slack channels. It's it can be anything. Um, Instagram DM, you know, groups. But my girlfriends and I have a group and we just share stuff and my you know, litmus test is if I saw this, would I want to share it with this group of girls? And when I say that group of girls, I am a big av- I'm a big believer in making work for yourself and it seems selfish, but it's actually really smart because you know what you want, you know what you think is funny and you have
1: the first in you have the inside yeah, info.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. you're the tar- you're the test group and the marketer, it's amazing. Like, yes. And you really don't have to look any farther or rack your brain any farther than your immediate circle of friends to figure out what people like. Because yes. the truth is, like, maybe you're you know, doing design research or whatever, strategy research, and you're like, ooh, like, you know, donuts are really in right now and Millennial Pink's really in right now, and <sighs> you're putting together all the popular things, but you could give two craps about these things. You can't, in my experience, like, you can't make work Continu- you can't continually produce work around a subject that you genuinely don't like. Yep. And you can, but that's where the soul-sucking, kind of you know, foot-dragging, like not wanting to go to work feeling happens. And so, yeah, I, I think- And
1: it's kind of condescending too. That's one of the things I feel like whenever mm-hmm. someone, whenever you feel like, um, you know, like the radio bands start ripping off the indie bands and they're doing it because the labels think that that's what the kids want, and it's not because it's organic process of passion, there's a feeling where you feel like you're being condescended to, like, we know what you want, we don't like it, we you know we know you want pugs on shirts, we're gonna put them <laughs> on there, we don't care about pugs, but we right. know you're gonna buy it. Um, and it's just inauthentic and Exactly,
0: yeah. and especially if you're trying to be your own brand or an independent artist, uh, I think the authenticity factor is huge because You know, as you've noticed, I write novels for captions, and that has been something that has worked really well for me because, and the same thing happened with Daily Dishonesty, I was making these images that said, you know, I'll be there in five minutes, calories don't count on the weekend, all those, oh my god, me too, moment kind of things. But I would, there was a point where I started adding one or two line captions to support the posts about things going on in my own life or where the inspiration for that piece came from. And I found that just that little bit of writing helped my audience, like, connect with me even more, yeah. and I would get, I, I always tell this story, I, I had a busy week in school because I was still a full-time student. I didn't post, it was called Daily Dishonesty, but it worked great with the theme because I only posted about two or three times a week. Right. <laughs> um, but there was an especially busy week or two weeks where I didn't post, and I got a flood of messages on Tumblr being like, don't stop now, like we love what you're doing, and yeah. sometimes all you need, and that's where having an audience even if it's one or two people paying attention to what you're doing can be motivating. And yeah. uh, someone else just being like, hey, I really like what you do is motivation to get out of bed and do do the thing yeah. and yeah. make the thing, having someone to serve or having someone who benefits from whatever you're putting out. But I think what I've learned from the Accidental Passion Project was that I don't have to do all my own marketing. I can just make work and that's the marketing. Let other yeah. people do it for me the relatability factor is huge. Like you were saying earlier with, you know, when you wake up and you realize you don't have coffee, like it's the end of the world. And that's the end of the world for, I'd say, a million other people out there as well. And when you can pick up on those kind of everyday kind of like life things, it's really powerful. And, you know, traveling for, I just spent the last 18 months traveling. That's one thing that just solidified that belief for me is that no matter your age, gender, geographic location, there are certain things about just being a human, being alive, that we all go through. Mm -hmm. Um, Take something like heartbreak, for example. You and I have experienced heartbreak in different ways, but we we know what that feels like, and that's like, it's solidified in who we are. And my parents have gone through heartbreak. My younger brother has gone through heartbreak. Even if you've never had a romantic relationship, someone's probably broken your heart in a different way. Like Mm -hmm. those, uh, one one section of the class that I teach we spend an entire week talking about feelings. It's it's very much like a weird like artist That's good. therapy, but yeah. I think it's so important to Be in touch with that and if you're angry be angry if you're sad be sad um, Especially with lettering in particular and I don't know if you find this with illustration but the subject matter for lettering tends to be so saccharine and so sweet so mm-hmm. optimistic and I'm an optimist for sh- for certain but you know if I always tell people, like, you're actually better off, you know, if you're a nihilist, like make a project about how nothing matters. And like, you might stand out more doing that with lettering than, you know, live, love, laugh.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) and I've met a lot of people, a lot of people that I work with where I'll say, uh, I'll meet them and then I'll look at their portfolio and I'll say, there is a giant gap between what it feels like to meet you yes. and what it feels like to look at your portfolio. Why is that? Mm-hmm. And they'll say that same thing where it's like, I'm trying to do what I think they want me to do or I'm trying to be what a lettering artist is rather than be themselves through the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love this idea of um, having other people share your work for you, this idea that uh, Making share-worthy work, right? And I think about how, in my own life, I've thought a lot about how it's not even about. It's almost like trying to find things about yourself and and notice them before other people notice them about themselves. Absolutely, so there's a surprise. And it's almost mm-hmm. like you're uh, as an artist, it's your job to 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 find to like. To become self-actualized and put this work out there, and it helps them do the work. Uh, I I know I'm not making any sense. I'm going to get No,
0: you're good. You're good. this (laughs) idea that
1: um, I've talked about this on the podcast a lot, this idea that your job as an artist is to become fully realized, make work that is you fully realized. And that way, your audience doesn't have to do the same work because they're not artists. So they're not going to be able to spend all that time. But when they see themselves in your work, you've done the work for them and exactly. they're like, "Oh." And then they share it because it's part of their identity now. Exactly. And they're like, "This is me. This happens to me." Yes,
0: yes. and I was just I was having dinner with a girlfriend last night. We were talking about this in regards to brands, and mm-hmm. she was talking about uh, an instance where she was walking on the street and she saw someone who was wearing all Nike clothing. Yeah. And uh, you know, we kind of got into a conversation about like consumerism and, you know, and <laughs> Yeah. What what brands really are though? Like when when someone wears all Nike, it's not that they're working out all the time it's they're trying to say something about themselves to people who don't know them it's it's the first uh you know it's the cover you're putting on your book right Mm -mm. and that's what we're all doing with fashion that's what we're all doing with social media that's what we all do in small ways every minute of every day yeah there's a reason why you chose those classes there's a reason why i chose this jacket like yeah and that same mentality applies to your work as a designer especially if you're going to be your own thing right Mm -hmm. like build your own style and operate under your own name because people want to be able to kind of pin your work to themselves and say like hey this is me the same way like the kind of bands we like say a lot about us Um, so we are trying to make statements about ourselves and so if you can get other people to see themselves in your work, they'll share it for you because they're yep. going to want to. You want to make something that someone wants to hold up or wear on a T-shirt, almost. Say, this is
1: me. Exactly. Totally.
0: Exactly. So for sure. so
1: good. All right, <laughs> I have a follow up to that. Yeah. Uh, now, I over the past couple of years, I feel like I've got better at doing that. It took me forever to figure out what. Uh, we've tried really hard to articulate something that's esoteric, and <laughs> you know it's hard to pin down. But I, it's so true. And I wonder if if someone's having a hard time knowing how to, to get those little truths or little things, do you have any tips to actually how to notice those, how to get better at, you know, because f- you're doing this lettering stuff all the time, and you've probably gotten better at finding that little personal inspiration, right? Uh, w- are there any tips that you have for people that maybe aren't practiced in mm-hmm. doing that, what they can do?
0: It's definitely a practice, and it gets easier. You, Like we talked about earlier, like you just kind of start to become more attuned to, like, oh. like It's like I always think of it visually as, like, all these ideas are always floating around, and it's up to you. Like, as a creative, it's your job to you know take the net and catch them. Like, mm-hmm. they're there. They're all there, but they're in a jumble, and it's your job to pick them out and configure them into something. In terms of, like, actionable steps, I have this crazy, like, notepad in my iPhone of just random stuff that happens during the day so I think things like... I do
1: that too.
0: Yeah, yeah and yeah. it's great uh, and if I, if I died and someone found my phone the notepad's super weird. Like yeah, it's, mean, yeah. it's weird. <laughs> um, my thing is anything that made me chuckle I'll write down or just make a note a of.
1: physical response. A physical
0: response. So I... Humor is not everybody's thing. Humor is my thing because there's something about laughter I love that it's a full body emotion. Mm-hmm. If I'm... If I think something's funny I can't not Laugh, right yeah. If, you know someone slips on a banana peel and like falls and it's like you just laugh. it's like this weird knee-jerk reaction and um does that make me a bad person? No, I don't know that's
1: awesome my wife is just like that too once I slipped on this on a step out the door and I'm like on my back <laughs> and I like maybe I could go to the hospital and she can't help but like laugh at me and I'm like, you're evil exactly anyway, um, yeah
0: you know things i I would say and this takes a little bit of time, but Con, like consistent themes in conversations with friends, um, your closest friends, your family. This I always say: the stuff that you talk about with your best friend when you're a bottle of wine in on the couch. Those are the things you should be making work about because you know you get a little truth serum in there mm-hmm. and you start talking yeah. about things that actually mean something to you, or things that have been bothering you, or things that have been on your mind, and you kind of let that go. And I think a, a glass of wine can definitely uh, help to get those out, but.
1: That's good advice. that Her favorite <laughs> advice is a bottle of wine.
0: <laughs> That's how Daily Dishonesty started. There you go. Yeah, right. wine and cheese night, uh, October two thousand and twelve. Uh, yeah. Okay,
1: there's there's so many things to oh, say. I <laughs> love this stuff. It's all all the stuff that I think about, and you're so good at articulating it. Um, you're good at articulating it. Oh my goodness! I am a fool who tries really hard. It takes me hours and hours and hours. You know, I put hours out every week, but you're like slaying it in only like thirty oh, thank minutes. You. Uh, but one th- one thing that I heard that reminds me exactly what mm-hmm. you're saying about these ideas floating around and all that. There's a, a philosopher said. Ages ago, I don't know. uh, This fish philosopher—it's a fish, right—and he goes to the other fish, and he's discovered water. Okay, and he's telling them everything about water, and they're like, "You don't—it's everything. It's everywhere. It's all this stuff. It's all all around." And they're like, "Wow, that's amazing. Uh, We we can't wait to see it." (laughs) <laughs> like, no, you see it all the time. You're in it. You're immersed in it. And it's almost like the artist's job is to take this stuff that we're immersed in every day. We're face-to-face with it, our own experiences, all that, and and come to terms with it and mine it and capture it. And uh, to everybody else, it's just white noise. It's just the water that we swim in. But your ability to, like, take life and dissect it down to these little moments is just this crazy superpower uh, of a creative. And, uh... The other thing, I don't know why I just had to. I had to keep going on that.
0: Though. No, no, no. I actually, the thing that popped up to my, in my mind. I heard a similar uh, water story like that. In uh, David Foster Wallace gave a commencement address at his uh, alma mater. Don't know exactly where it was, but yeah. he tells a story about an elderly fish is swimming by two younger fish, and he goes like, "Morning, boys. Like, isn't the water fine today?" And he swims <sighs> away, and the two younger fish go. What's water? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah,
1: I'm and sure that that's right. Yeah, I, it's
0: that yeah. self awareness, like you said, and you know, it's yeah. it's all around, and being able to, one, know it's there. I think realize it's there, and then two, understand what it is. Those, and knowing it's
1: your job. Yes, like that's your job is to do that.
0: Well, yeah, and as a creative, I think uh, as a visual artist, your job is to take intangible ideas and turn them into visual yes. representations of that, and that's the style of communication. Um,
1: that's so good. And another thing that you said that I thought is phenomenal is uh, you pointed out comedy as a possibility, a, po- a possible way to do that, uh, and that you that that's a flavor that is unique to you. And I think that um, you know everybody is a fully th- three dimensional person with all kinds of different interests and passions and everything. And so it's not you, you know your work has deep sides and sarcastic sides and all kinds of different stuff, but knowing. Knowing what your lanes are is so important to figure that out. And I think comedy by is almost like a learned one for me. And I realized um, it doesn't – I always hate saying this because it sounds like I'm saying I'm a deep person. But it does – it's nothing about that. It's just that I like to – the things I like to think about are things like philosophy – Things like the invisible world that you can't see, big picture ideas, weird ideas. And and it's that same thing of um, where, where you said, you know, comedy is this like physical full body thing. My favorite encounter are those ones where I feel like, wow, my world just got bigger, or the world just got more color, or yes. it's just like transcendent feeling. And for what, and, and I, it can be like watching the Lego movie, honestly.
0: We're all like, amazed by different things. Totally, And yes. you gotta tune into that, and you gotta own what you're amazed by. Um, yes. And you gotta own what you like, and we talked a little bit about this in the car, but the internet, the internet makes everything possible now. Yeah, I totally, think about totally. <laughs> all the weird little subcultures online that, Previously, you had to physically get your butt to, like, a convention or a meetup. Bound by space. Bound by space to go try to find people who liked what you like. And now it's as as easy as a website or a click or, you know, a hashtag. And that blows my mind. And I always tell people, like, whatever weird stuff you're into, whatever – if you're scared that something – you shouldn't do something because it's not popular or because you're not sure other people are going to like it, do it. Yes. Um, Because – the
1: internet, in my experience, rewards weird. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. And, and it's it, almost like a, an amazing discovery. Whenever you start thinking, mm, I don't know if anybody would, uh, I don't have any evidence that anybody else would affirm this, it's like, oh, you've actually found something unique about you. Something that's new too. That's perfect. Put it out there. Exactly. Like, yeah, totally. Because yeah. then it's something that people will know you for.
0: Exactly. And you, that's the thing, too. It's, it's good to be, you know, that guy who does that or that girl who does that. Like, it helps to have that identifying kind of factor. And that's where tone of voice definitely mm-hmm. comes in and can tie things together. Um, but what was I going to say about the Internet? Weird. Oh, yeah. And so when I... You know, you see things online, like there's a new weird viral thing every day. Like there's that yeah. girl who makes food out of office supplies. Have you seen that? I haven't seen there's that. A, uh, have you seen
1: the girl who smushes her face into bread? I feel like both of those you could have made up on the spot.
0: Oh, yeah. I have links. My phone's on silent right now, but I have links. Uh, Do I have links for you? What's that
1: one, the bread one?
0: There's a, girl, there's a website or it's an Instagram handle now called Breadface Blog. Right. It's literally a girl who puts the camera uh, tabletop um, and then she puts, different kinds of bread on the table, holla, you know, baguettes, <laughs> banana, banana, yeah. banana nut muffins. What and she, heck? okay, so camera, camera's here, bread's here, and she just smushes her face into it. And that's all it is. Why? And she's got more Instagram followers than you and
1: I combined. Oh <laughs> Putting her face into bread.
0: And so what I could say about that and what I, what I like to bring up about <laughs> that thing is, it's kind of like that, what is it, the, like the modern art argument where someone says, like, oh, like, You know, there's a dot on a canvas, right? I could do that. I could do that. But you didn't, someone else did. And I really genuinely believe that the way that we share stuff now and the way that kind of digital media works, if you're not afraid or if you're brave enough to show you're weird, you Mm -hmm. will be rewarded for it. Yeah. Because there could be someone else who said, I had that idea too, to smash my face into bread and film it. (laughs) I had that idea too, to do that weird thing. But it's the person who had the whatever you want to call it, confidence, courage, naivete, (laughs) to just go ahead and do it, that is going to reap the benefits. Because in ad school, they taught us, there was a rule of thumb, because it's possible people have the same ideas for campaigns all the time. And the rule of thumb is you either have to do it first, or you have to do it so damn good that it just blows the other
1: one out of the water. Do it first or do it best.
0: Do it first or do it best. And that holds true to a lot of (laughs) things online.
1: And actually, the spoils go to the one that does it best that's the I I think about that a lot between like MySpace and Facebook and Mm, just think mm -hmm. about how you know and and that's just the way of history just goes that way it's not about who who does it first I want to talk to you about marketing I feel like you uh, have excellent work but you've also done an awesome job of getting the word out there and we've talked a lot about that but um, I I sometimes I feel even though I, I'm doing a marketing series right now this will slot perfectly into that Wonderful. Um, but a lot of times I feel like because marketing has changed so much and it used to be so much more simple where you pay for a Google ad space and then, you know, maybe not an illustrator, but that's right. how marketing used to work. Or you send a postcard and you're done. You've done right, the marketing the promo thing. promo piece. And it's just, yeah, it's just like A and B and that's it. And now I feel like a lot of the things that I try to get people to do are so much more indirect, even though they work directly, right? Uh, and I just wondered if you had, from your history, any things that you think, like if things are slow or you think, you know what, I need to like supercharge this what are the th- what are the places you go to in terms of to turn up the heat on your marketing Ooh. or or whatever? Do you have any tricks up your sleeve?
0: Well, so I've never I've never made a passion project specifically like in a time crunch like you know it's a slow period so I'm going to do this. Right. I think I'd say it's more of a constant kind of just flow of like the ideas will come out when they come out and. Yep. You know, I was thinking back to when I was working in the agency and like we'd receive promos all the time from illustrators and. That's a kind of tried and true way to do it. Like, I'm sure it yields some results, but I think if I'm trying to turn up the heat, my thing is, and this is obviously coming from someone who's got a large following now, is, mm-hmm. you know, there there are times where I'll post on Instagram every day, every other day, once a week. It's really, I try not to take it too seriously, yeah, um, because my friend who's like a marketing coach, she's like, are you like saying something valuable or are you just trying to make noise? And I was right. like, okay, yeah, gotta just value, value, that's value. That's pretty good. I think it's really good. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, cause there's a, that, there's so much pressure to make post noise. every day and to make noise, but I think it's quality over quantity uh, when it comes to, be able, like there are so many hacks, social media hacks, right? Where it's like, use these hashtags, post at this time, tag these people. Um, and there, you know, follow on follow, all these strategies yeah. to try to get in front of the right audience, get that number up. And I understand the appeal the of that. The
1: hustle idea almost, yeah. And there's but a lot of downside to that.
0: Have you read, <clears> uh, and I've been telling everyone to read this because it, I encountered it this year when I was traveling because a lot of people are entrepreneurs and they just have good uh, insights. Uh, a thousand true fans, have you heard? Yeah, okay. Kevin Kelly. Yeah. Yes, Kevin Kelly. I'm so all about it. All about that too. Like you know, yes, the number is shiny and like, yeah, I broke 100,000 followers like last month and it Mm -hmm. was super exciting. But I I love to tell people that everyone starts at zero. There's no, if you do it the easy way, you're not gonna get to where you wanna be. If you do like, if you buy followers, you do the quick thing. It's not sustainable. Also, why would you want someone following you who doesn't even, isn't even interested in your work? And I had a student who asked me a question when I started doing my flower crown series, putting bread on my head. Um, inspired by Breadface blog, because when when someone else shows they're (laughs) weird, it gives us permission to be weird too. And that's what you can do for other people. But he was like, oh, like, were you worried by posting croissants on your head mixed in with your lettering content that that was gonna throw off your followers and people would unfollow you? And my answer to that was, It didn't even cross my mind because, one, I'm not concerned with the number, Mm -hmm. and two, good, if if they unfollow me for that, then they weren't my right follower anyways. If someone is following me only because they want to see lettering for the next, like I said, 70 years, because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) then they're in the wrong, they're on the wrong page, because I'm a big fan of your tone of voice and personality can be the glue that holds your body of work together. It doesn't have to be limited to one medium. because I think I think back to when I was in school or when I was a kid and I took ceramics classes and I also took printmaking and I also, you know, played the flute and, like, I did all these things that, you know, just because I had a lot of interests and there's nothing wrong with doing that. You don't have to stick to one thing. There could be a day where I'm just, like, lettering isn't making me happy. Yeah. And then you pivot. You figure it out from there. And that's where the resourcefulness comes in. Um, so I think... If I want to turn the heat up, an instant thing for me to do is just to be more active on social media. Yeah. Like I said, making meaningful content. Uh, if you have a lull in freelance work, and this is where this always plays into that conversation of lowering your rates, doing work for free, is you're the most vulnerable or susceptible to doing work for free or lowering your rates when you are in a lull because it's mm-hmm. that scarcity mindset of yeah. when is the next job coming in? You know, If my rate's normally $100 an hour, but I haven't booked work in a month, maybe I should take this project at 40. Like, this is what I can get right now. And yes, there are instances where you really are back against the wall, got to take the job. But I'd say 90% of the time it's not that way, and you just psych yourself up to think it's that way. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a really good... Passage from uh, the four hour work week. Have you yeah, read that too? I haven't, but I, okay. I Tim Ferriss, he's kind of like a yeah. productivity hacker.
1: <clears throat> I like most of his stuff. I do too. Yeah. yeah and he's a, his own flavor. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. He's yeah. his own
1: flavor, right? I. That's the thing I've <laughs> realized is that I have got to the point where I feel like the further you go down that road of developing your own flavor, you can appreciate flavors of all kinds, even if they're dramatically different to you. Absolutely. And you almost just appreciate the authenticity.
0: Yes, and yeah. I—that's I, totally like it takes a while to get to that realization and that point because we're so worried about either offending somebody or being too weird or not fitting in that we, you know, tone ourselves down to be more appealing to a wider audience. Where with the Thousand Tree fans, I'd rather have, you know, if my Instagram's following stopped growing today and I just had a hundred thousand diehard fans who yeah. were into the stuff I was into, that's fine. Yeah. That is a okay because, like you said, when you own your weirdness and you own your authentic your flavor um, for example you appreciate it more in others the same way it's that same mentality when you celebrate your success and what makes you awesome and you you know that can be seen as cocky or like self-centered or full of yourself but if you are just like yeah like i am awesome at this or yeah i am great at this i'm an awesome person i'm a great artist Um, when you recognize that in yourself and honor that in yourself and you're not ashamed to do so you see the greatness in others as well. And, you know, if you see someone who's talking about landing a big job, you are happy for them Mm -hmm. because you would be happy if that was you and you'd hope others would do the same thing. So a lot of like work starts at the self in terms of how you see the world, because I think there's a really great quote from Brene Brown um, who says, we're only able to love others as much as we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing goes, you could replace ourselves with our work, right? You're yep. only allowed to, you can only appreciate someone else's work as much as you appreciate your own. as and far as
1: you've gone. Exactly. I, uh, so I'm gonna like, because I, I threw you off, I'm gonna go back and mine through some of this stuff. Yes, And then go totally try oh, to make it go. I forgot go. to
0: mention the Tim Ferriss bit, because I, I go on tangents all the time too, okay. I, but you go. So the Tim Ferriss bit, Oh, I said what it was, but I didn't say no, what no, it was. No, I mean, I got it in
1: my notes, but hit it <laughs> okay, back, because cool. I yes. knew yes. missed it. So yes, I'll, yes, I'll go yes. back Me to Yes, 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 you and I are the same wavelength. So
0: he has a part in there about you know the gut reaction to doing something controversial or something potentially risky like quitting your job is the example he uses but let's say posting some weird work or maybe swearing for the first time in a lettering piece something yeah. that's outside of your comfort zone our bodies are programmed to protect us right our mm-hmm. our brain says no 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 scary new 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 don't do it and it's just trying to protect us from being hurt his thing is, you know, if you're gonna quit your job, if you're gonna do something risky, you're automatically gonna think about the worst thing that can happen. So I think about, and I, this happened to me when I was quitting my job, transitioning from full-time to freelance. I'm gonna burn through my savings and I'm not gonna book work, and I'm gonna you know, have to move in with my parents and then I'm gonna be a loser. And just, you're, you go into this like quicksand of awfulness. Yeah. And his point in the book is, okay, take a deep breath, what is realistically the worst thing that can happen? And I kind of, I don't still have the, the paper, but I drew it out because I'm a visual person. Kind of these like- Did you if, share it? I didn't.
1: Oh, no, I didn't.
0: It. I should have. Um, I was very tightly curating my Instagram feed right. back then. I was new. <laughs> I got on Instagram in 2013. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you think of it as, you start at the cliff, right? And you jump and there are all these different safety nets you have to fall through or different like pitfalls you have to get through to get to the next level. and. When I really thought about it realistically and logically, I was like, okay, I have savings. If I quit my job and within six months I've burned through more than I want to, then you know I get a full-time job again. End yep. of story. Yep. Or if I'm stubborn and I'm like, okay, I don't want the full-time job, keep trying to freelance, scraping by, maybe burning through more savings. Other worst-case scenario, I move to a cheaper city. And like, depending on what you're willing to barter to do the work you want to do and have the career you want to have, it's... Everyone's got a different risk tolerance, and it's yeah. really important if you're making any risky decisions or things you're scared about to really just write it down or draw it out, whatever works for you. Get it all out on paper, and it calm it calms me at least, because wow. I'm, I'm a rational person, but emotions flood to the front of your brain a lot of the times, especially with scary decisions it's never as bad as you think it's yep. going
1: to be Yeah, um, absolutely right and I I uh, just wrote a little article for uh, my friend Jeremy Clays uh-huh. he's a guy who did my MFBA class uh, great illustrator and uh, I just wrote an article for him about uh, he's doing a project on Brene Brown and oh, uh, I great. did yeah, I did a little article about that same idea and saying you know it's easy to get into that rut of thinking oh how what w- um just how terribly things could go, yeah. or what if things go terribly wrong, but you could just as easily flip it and say, what if things go terribly right? right exactly. What if things, you know, go the other way and, and, uh, and envision just this amazing outcome that could also be just as uh, possible. It is yeah.
0: interesting how we have a tendency to have tunnel vision in one direction, and yeah. we all know there's two sides to any equation, and this happens too uh, with my students. Well, what exactly is, oh, People say, especially because it's like a social media culture now, a lot of letterers are on Instagram, which is smart, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's easy to get caught up in you're flooded with a feed of people you follow that you admire, but you're constantly having work that you think is better than yours put in front of you. yeah, On a daily basis, you know, in your free time, that's that's the stream you're getting. What I tell people is, okay, the same amount of energy and like worry you're focusing on all those people who are better than you, because It's subjective but yes they might have more experience Um, they you know have had a different path than you it doesn't change what you can do and like the work you can put out and it's good to be aware of what other people are doing but for every person you look up to and feel envious about or you feel discouraged because they're so good um, like they're so good it hurts Mm -hmm. there's somebody a step behind you who's doing the same to you and I again visual person I see it as we're all on this like escalator Mm -hmm. and there are just these little tears and you're at your spot and you're incapable of looking behind, but there is a behind. Yeah, and yeah. even the most like successful, accomplished artist will tell you that they haven't arrived. They haven't they're not at where they want to be. And that's kind of the beauty of the gift and the curse of being creative is that you are always imagining new things or a better way to do something or a new thing you could try. And so there really is no, you know, making it when it comes mm-hmm. to a creative career because you're always gonna set new things for yourself and, and that's good. Yep. But it also means, this is something that helped me. I think, who said it? I think I was watching like a Sean West video or something. Right, Are you familiar yeah, with him? A little bit. Like a motivational like marketing de- guy, design guy. Yeah. He was saying, cause I, I find this a lot with my students now but it was the same in me, the hesitation to teach. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you went through this when mm-hmm. you started teaching. Absolutely. So for me with lettering, it's been workshops. So I started with in-person workshops and there was always this hesitation to teach Because I didn't feel ready yet, I wasn't qualified enough yet. I had just been lettering for a couple years. Didn't I was 25? Didn't feel like like all those factors were working against me in my own mind. But he said something interesting, and he was like, "All you need to know to teach is a little bit more than someone else. Totally, you don't have to be a master of the thing to teach because they're defined master. Like there's always someone who could learn more about something. New techniques are being developed every day. There's there's no mastery of anything. it's a it's a constant evolution. And so I was like, wow, like that's true. And so I advise people like if you want to teach, teach what you wish you knew a couple years ago. Totally. and that's totally viable because for every like I said, every person you admire, there are people who are trying to get to just where you are too. We're all just trying to take a step up.
1: Yeah every I, uh, single time. I think the same thing and I and basically uh, that same lens was really powerful for the podcast for me because mm-hmm. I thought about, um, basically, the podcast was what I wished existed in twenty or two thousand nine. Yeah. And like, what was the podcast I wished that I could have listened to, and what I needed? And I think the other side of it is that even there are people ahead of me that I know listen to the podcast, and it, if either it's a different perspective that they hadn't heard yep. or considered, or it's just a reminder of like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, I need it. I forgot about that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of two things. Um, someone told me a quote the other day that like. Because I, that was another hesitation to teach online classes, right? There's yeah, always a hesitation totally. when it's something new, and you know, I was like, well, like, you know, what am I teaching somebody that they couldn't just like Google or like do more research on, or other people are talking about motivation, and like you, you and I talk about a lot of yep. the same things. Totally. But what something that helped me was, you know, there are there's validity in different perspectives, yes. and you never know. So the information is important, but. It's sticking is the more important part, and in the
1: flavor of it, the
0: flavor. Yes. I love the flavor analogy. It's yes. so good because
1: <laughs> everybody's you know, got
0: a different palate. the The quote that someone told me was, "If all those self help books really worked, we'd all be millionaires with six packs." Right. And I was
1: like, <laughs> "I've heard that." Yeah. Like,
0: wow, that is so true. Like, yeah. someone might be. We could be talking about the same thing, right? Like, make the work, share the work. It's pretty yes. simple. Yeah. But it coming from you versus it coming from me that's going to resonate with a completely different audience. Yes. And, yeah, we're going to have some overlap, but there are so many small psychological things that I think about, too, when when I'm like, why do I like this person or why do I trust this person's opinion? And Mm -hmm. it could be as simple as they share a similar backstory, where you're from geographically, same ethnicity, same gender. Like, there are so many things that play into... that's why it's so important
1: to share those things about you. Yes,
0: absolutely. And, you know, I get messages all the time, and this is something... You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, where it's a pretty big melting pot. So very rarely did I ever, you know, think like I'm Asian. Like you know, like that's not a <laughs> yeah, thought that right. that crossed my mind a lot. But yeah. I get so many messages, and it it warms my heart. And it it made me realize how powerful like representation is in different yes, fields.
1: Absolutely.
0: I get messages saying like, you know, I look up to you, partly because you're female and Asian in the design community, and yeah. there aren't a lot of people who are as outspoken as you or there aren't a lot of people really pushing to be you know, seen. And I was like, wow, I didn't even think about that. But yeah. like, you know, growing up, I liked the Yellow Power Ranger because she was Asian. <laughs> <laughs> there were all these small little things and sure, I can you know, watch a Tony Robbins video or something and he's saying all this amazing shit and mm-hmm. I love Tony Robbins, he's yeah. great. Yeah. But if that same stuff is coming from someone I can see myself, it's the same thing with the uh, making work that's relatable, your story is also relatable to other people. and so that's Helps all the more you bond reason with
1: them and, yeah yeah
0: all the more reason to share it and even if it's been said before, you could say it differently. You could say it in a way that resonates with a different kind of person.
1: And don't you did you have a piece? Uh, I feel like you had a lettering piece about this idea, this representation idea about you can only Ooh, you can only it?
0: you can only be uh, oh wait you can only be what you can see? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that's
1: what it was. And that is uh, such a game changer. For me, one of the things that really helped me break through in terms of, you know, I I was getting jobs early on in my career, Mm -hmm. but still struggling. This is like first two years out of college. And uh, one of the things that just blew my mind wide open was I I, I always say, uh, when I was at the bottom, uh, and I was in my darkest day and I hit rock bottom. Uh-huh. I didn't turn to drugs, I turned to something even worse, which was business books <laughs> and <I had> marketing <laughs> podcasts. And I was like so ashamed, oh, yeah. like, especially because like art and marketing had not like crashed at that moment. So I just felt like, the war, like this is such a sellout, what am I doing? <laughs> and what I ended up doing, I'm reading these like business magazines and I kept running across these people that were on the cover that were really unconventional business superstars And I would see myself in them, whether they had ADHD or had like all these weird quirks that I was like, that's exactly like me. And it was just those those little things where it's like I could see myself as a success because of that, because I could see myself in those successful people. And so there's yeah, there's this um, it might feel selfish or egotistical to share your work or get your stuff out there. But you don't know who you're representing, who um, you're giving permission to succeed.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, it's it's so 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 powerful, and I didn't start thinking about that until uh, my realization was I walked into I taught a workshop in New York, and then San Francisco, and then L.A. And yeah. by the time I got to L.A., I walked into the workshop, and my class is skew female. Um, right. I assumed that, but seventy-five mm, percent of the class was Asian, and wow. I was like, "Wow, like it's L.A. It's a melting pot, of course. Yeah. Like it's fine." And but then I realized when I thought back, like. Same for San Francisco, same for New York. And yes, those are densely populated, diverse areas. But I was like, oh, whoa, like there are Asian people here because I'm Asian. Yeah. And that was really powerful for me. And it, you know, it's the same conversation that people have around why diversity in mainstream media is yeah. so important for kids and self-confidence. Because yeah. you look at the uh, antagonists in, uh, or protagonists, sorry, protagonists, yeah. right? the heroes in yep. TV shows or the uh, you know, leading ladies or leading gentlemen in movies. and you're more likely to think you can do it if you see someone else who looks like you who can do it. yep. and Absolutely. it's it's totally a psychological thing, and we, not to bring up Tony Robbins again, but he he a great bit, and like yeah. he's one of like the like the motivational speakers that I was like always averse to getting into. But I've me seen... too,
1: I, I had the same whole thing. Because it's kind you, of like yeah. a shtick, right? You yeah, like I know. he changes like, people's Tony lives. Tony Robbins, come yeah, on, he's guy. got like the, the tapes. people but listen he's pretty to the brilliant, he, you know. He yeah.
0: he talks about this idea of not buying into a limiting story, not mm-hmm. telling yourself a limiting story, and so that's where the I think. Diversity comes in and these all those subconscious things that we, we believe to be true because we've seen it over and over yeah. again in culture, in media. So we think and it must be true. Exactly. And you, yeah. you internalize it and you you just you, you inherently limit yourself even though there's nothing really stopping you. And so that might be like a small roadblock that a lot of people face that they don't realize yeah. um, is true. And luckily in design, you know, I started my design career in the New York City community, so it's very diverse a lot of women doing awesome things, like a lot of people of color doing awesome mm-hmm. things, but I know that's not the case, ever. it's not as diverse everywhere else. And totally. so, uh, you know, my role models, Jessica Hish, Dana Tanamachi, yep. Tina Roth-Eisenberg, all these ladies who are just, one, very technically skilled, but two, like making shit happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Tina Roth-Eisenberg is like my ultimate, cause she does, her side projects turn into legit businesses, yeah. like Tatley Creative Mornings, She's such stuff. a
1: wave maker. She yes. makes things happen.
0: Exactly, and anything. she doesn't yeah. just, you know, it's one thing to make a passion project and let it fall off the bandwagon or just kind of like half-ass it. She makes businesses and gives people jobs and fosters community, and that is kind of my my next steps in terms of like, okay, I know how to launch a passion project for me about something that I like. How do I make it bigger, yes. right? Like how do I build it into more of a brand or a thing or a community? And she does such a beautiful job yeah. at that. And um, she, I watched one of her, I think it was a 99U talk she did that like fucking blew my mind. Yeah. And she talks about, uh, she has a rule of thumb which I think is brilliant where, this is how Tatley was started. If she complains about something um, and she she can complain about something once, if she doesn't do anything to change it, she's never allowed to complain about it again. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. that's so good. Yes. And like, so hard to stick to, cause complaining's like the itch you like know, like a mosquito bite, you know you shouldn't scratch, yeah. but it feels so good to scratch. <laughs> Pity party is complaining. Yeah. Like we all get into the pool once in a while, dip our toes
1: and- There's actually science behind the fact that the more that you complain, the more likely you will be depressed. There's like a, it's like a psychological thing. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, cause we allow ourselves to get stuck in a certain mindset and to feed into that. And the same way, uh, you know, bad habits form slowly over time, mm-hmm. good habits form totally. the same way with the same kind of attention that you give it. And so that's how Tally was formed. Her daughter came home from a birthday party with a pack of crappy tattoos, temporary tattoos. Mm-hmm. And she said, mommy, can you put one on me? And You know, Tina, as a Swiss, you know, very clean designer, said, no. Like, I I will not put that sparkly (laughs) unicorn. It's a disgrace. Yes. And she she goes, like, she was solving a problem in her own life. And sure, badly designed kids' temporary tattoos on the grand scheme of things, maybe not that big a problem. But she used that insight from her own life to build something. And I think what you said about the podcast, I was going to make a comment on that. Making the thing that you wish existed is also a great prompt. Yes. For starting a passion project, a side project, making a thing. Because Even a piece,
1: just one piece of work.
0: Exactly. Yeah. My my buddy Joey uh, started a notebook company, Baron Fig. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. I know Baron Fig, yep. He started, he's like so successful. Like he, yeah. he graduated my year two and we're all just like, how did he do it? Like, uh, he, you know, he's he was yeah. just so full of wisdom. He couldn't find a notebook that he loved, so he made one. And that is, I think if there's one message I could just pound into creatives' brains, is that. You are capable of making what doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, that, that is, is your so power.
0: Capable, and like you said, the same way you get creative with your illustration or your design, you can get creative with how you make it, how you market it. With the it, world. With the world, exactly. And you know, one thing—it's yeah—it's it's really just being resourceful and figuring out what you like, what you don't like, changing the things you don't like, digging deeper into the things that you like. Um, a story that I've been telling that I don't always talk about because it's so such a long time ago with resourcefulness. And I've just had this track record of like entrepreneurial spirit and like turning hobbies into like jobs. I worked at Cold Stone when I was yeah. in high school. Great job. Oh my God. I worked
1: at Subway and College. Oh my
0: God, my dad worked at go. Subway. Right. Subway is my favorite fast food. It is so good.
1: Yeah. Um, I I overdone, uh, you know, the smell of Subway. The mustard weird, bread? Whatever it it's is. It's mustard bread. Yeah, it's like working there for like several years is like, <laughs> Totally, yeah,
0: ruined it for me. I but. I'm a big fan. I think that everyone should work in food service at least once in their life. It'll teach you some stuff. And or and or be overweight. It's a right. very humbling experience. Yeah, true, and I was a chubby kid. Yeah. I did both to, of them. So <laughs> <exactly. I'm. laughs> I think I think it makes for the most well-rounded right, yeah. person because it, it makes you treat others kindly mm-hmm. because you've been on the, other end, been the there, yeah. other end of the other end of the stick. And yeah. uh, so I was working at Coldstone in high school and. My hobby on the side was, I loved going to the Salvation Army, Goodwill, to go thrifting. That was like my thing. I loved getting into like a pile of clothes and Mm -hmm. picking out the good stuff. And, you know, I grew up in a pretty affluent community, but my family wasn't super wealthy. And so a lot of the kids I went to school with didn't even know what Goodwill was, like no good reason to. But there was something fun about the chance of finding something there. And the it was treasure. a low budget hobby for a broke teenager, you know? And yeah. so I would do that and I realized I had a knack for it. So what I started doing was I, I went to my dad and I was like, hey dad, can you loan me $200 at the beginning of the month? I'm gonna use that as capital to go thrift shopping. And because girls at school would be like, where'd you get that dress? Where'd you get that top? And I'd be like, oh, you know, it's vintage. that's um, amazing. And so I started spending my weekends thrifting, getting all the good stuff. My mom bought me a little pricing tag, gu- like pricing tag gun. <laughs> yeah. We built a PVC pipe clothes rack, and at the last Friday of every month, I would hang everything up on my front lawn, post posters all over the school being like, yard sale, my lawn, You know, 3 p.m. or right after school, and yeah. I would sell thrifted clothes at like a 300% markup to girls at my school, and they loved it because it was still cheaper than what they were getting before. Yeah. I got my creative fix of getting to find the clothes, and I turned a
1: profit. And so I good. was
0: like, I don't have to work at Colston anymore. This is awesome. <laughs>
1: that is amazing. And it's I love that entrepreneurial spirit, which is clearly apparent in your whole history. And then also, I one of the things I try to get people to embrace is like, okay, so you have this medium that you found that you like to be creative in. Yep. How And I know we've touched upon this, but that's such a good example of, like, the world is yours to be creative with. You can apply that same creative mentality. And that's one of the things I'm going to be talking at Creative Works. It's one of the things I'm going to be talking about is, like, I see this podcast as a mission, not necessarily to make millions of successful painters out there, but to use whatever is that proficiency or that that nature that makes you a painter to apply that to school, education, politics, the world. How can we take that raw human creativity and those rare people that have that thing in them and apply it all over the place.
0: Absolutely. I thought you were gonna say millions of dollars. Yeah, and I was and like, how oh. can make <laughs> millions of
1: dollars. Like that's the question we're all needing to Million dollar to ask. podcast. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> so uh good. That's super funny. All right. Uh, we've done so many good things. I want to, there's a. there's like a yeah, few little go for it. things. I'm One all thing yours. I wanted to say <laughs> that uh, that you said Kind of like nonchalantly, but is actually super brilliant. And I want to make sure we highlight it. <laughs> is uh, when I was asking you about like what do you do for marketing, right? Um, this is a thing that I think I just want. It's kind of like um, when you're uh, when you're when you're a parent and you tell your kid the same thing all the time, and then someone way cooler tells them it, and they're like, "Well, I got it." And you're like, "Oh man, I've been telling you that. How do you exactly. know?" It? Or you're a teacher, and the guest lecturer comes in and says the same thing, they're like. Yep. And they're clapping for this guy. <laughs> and I feel like you said something that I try to say, but you said it so well, this idea of quality versus quantity, but then delivering value online. Like real value, not just trying to make noise, not just trying to maximize the amount of posts you can do, but nothing matters more in marketing in my book right now than providing real value on social platforms on a consistent basis. And what, can you just, uh, could you just do your best to describe what you see as value? Like what are you, what is it that was? Yeah, getting? so yeah. that
0: was something, I spent a lot of time this year thinking about that as I started launching into courses because uh, I hired a business coach to help me kind of like filter through my thoughts and like, that's what awesome. should I teach? And yeah. it was the best investment I ever Man, made. Like, good. I was terrified to part with like, just like two or $3,000. Yeah. I was like, oh, but yeah. best investment
1: I ever made. We um, should be doing more of that. Not just because I off- I've offered, I'm not offering right <laughs> now. But I've offered stuff like that in the past, yeah. and I've seen the power of it, and it's made me think of like getting a therapist, like getting a coach, oh like God. doing this stuff, because Absolutely. I can see like you don't have many people in your life that, are go- that have the energy and capacity to give you their best yes. for an extended period of time, and you can actually pay people to do that. And it's going to be, it can, you know, you can triple your investment or whatever. Um, So anyway, that's good Um, So yes,
0: about about the value, um, she she made a really great point because I was like, why would anyone buy a course from me? Like, um, other than, you know, they were a fan of my work, like, and she was like, listen, like, value comes in all different forms. Even you posting on Instagram on a consistent basis, talking about how you're feeling, giving helpful advice, portfolio tips, whatever. Those little things—that's value, and value can be as big as a free ebook with like strategies, like a big thing, right? Or a free podcast. This podcast yeah. is so valuable; it can be as small as a free, like a free wallpaper. Like that's value. Mm-hmm. Uh, free insight, like free portfolio tips. It can be anything. And a I free laugh. Yes, I was just about to yes. say that. I even argue that value is just improving someone's day. Or giving them a fresh perspective, doing something that made their day better than before they encountered that yes. content. Yep. And I think that that would be how I define value. And for me, that that shifts. Sometimes I do, you know, free mini courses as value, and that's higher effort for me, but it's more value for my audience. And one thing I will say too uh, that helped me a lot was that even a it doesn't matter how big the value you think you're offering. So me me giving a portfolio tip or something mm-hmm. like you know. Put your best three pieces first, or like you know you should have your contact page this way or or whatnot. Um, it doesn't matter the size of the value. It's, it matters the impact and what I tell people, because with, with the internet and with advice and with creative work, it seems like everything's already been said, mm-hmm. everything's already been done. But like I said, the stickiness of it, even though something like uh, you know, Tina Roth Eisenberg's work or Tim Ferris's work, you could be the person who tells them about that for the first time. Yes, You could be, everyone's gotta find out about something for the first time, and you could be that person to relay that message. So the excuse of, well, you know, so and has talked about it before, so I shouldn't do it, is pretty invalid because even if you tell one new person about it, that's a huge amount of value, and yeah. that could change the trajectory of their career. Um, like one thing that was big for me, and I think it was big for a lot of other letterers was, uh, Jessica Hish's pricing blog mm-hmm. post she made yep. like seven years ago, six years ago, The Dark Art of Pricing. I yep. still remember it.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: And reading that and being like, wow, you can charge $25,000 yeah. for an advertising lettering I bet project? How,
1: you know, how... how much of an impact that made on the industry of saying here's some uh, transparent stuff about my pricing and how many people priced uh, more properly for what they were worth and how that probably had a ripple effect on how everybody priced in the industry. Absolutely. So anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so value, it can be anything. A- anything that, like I said, the prompt that I tend to use is what would I have loved to know three to five years ago? Yep. And you can choose any different time period to, to hone in on. but. You know, if I think about five years ago, what would I have loved to know as I was graduating college? Or, yeah. you know, you can even think 10 years ago, what would I have loved to know trying to apply for art school? All the knowledge, like everything you've done up, in, up until this point is valuable to somebody else. It may not seem that impressive to you, but uh, one thing that I, it's another one of my little quips, but one of my girlfriends who's a YouTuber, she was, you know, it's hard to build an audience, especially on YouTube, it's a tough yeah. game. And yeah. it had been a year, she had built it, like, 20,000 followers? followers—it's good. It's pretty good. But she wasn't monetizing. And she yeah. was like, I don't know, like, should I take some freelance work? Should I go back to my old marketing job? Like, what should I do? And I was like, well, like, ultimately up to you. But let me say this, like, the marketing job that you left, um, you can take solace in the fact that your plan, like, that that's your fallback, right? You can always go back to the full-time job. Mm-hmm. Even me, after freelancing for four years, I bet I could pull a resume together, get yep. a full-time job, be an in-house illustrator. I bet that could happen. Um, But that would be my plan B. Mm-hmm. And what I told her is, like, listen, your plan B is someone else's plan A. Totally. And so, you know, knowing that, like, keep following your thing because yeah. your plan B is really
1: fucking good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah totally. Yeah,
0: you're, like, oh no, worst case scenario, safety net so is someone, some,
1: yeah, it take.
0: gives some perspective. Yeah. Because um, I think about when I was, when I got hired at my advertising job, it was my dream job, and you know, I was working at an agency called BBDO, my partner and I got hired out of school, making $60,000 a year, which mm. was like a million dollars. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being so naive, actually, that we were like, "Yeah, like we're making sixty k a year, which means five thousand dollars a month," <laughs> like you just wish. oblivious to yeah, taxes. Yeah, and yeah. I, I like, will never forget the look on my partner's face yeah, when we fine. got our first paycheck.
1: Yeah, you're like, oh, "Who is this? <laughs> this isn't mine." Nice. she's like, "Who's FICA? Yeah, Sorry.
0: exactly. And you know, I think about it's it's all just perspective. Uh, that job was my dream job until it wasn't, yep. and. I see no shame in, I talk to people about this all the time. I think it's all about f- being creative with your career and making it fit the best to your life. Mm. You, you have the ability to tailor your career to your current wants and needs. And your strengths. Exactly. And yeah. so, me at 26 years old, just traveled the world, did what I wanted to do. Like I value autonomy, I value flexibility, I value being location independent. And freelance is beautiful for that, Mm -hmm. like so good. Yes. If autonomy is
1: number one for me, and that's why freelance has always been my plan A.
0: Exactly. And um, sometimes I think having a too solid of a plan B can be too much of a fallback too. And so I find it very motivating freelance when I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from because I'm just like, okay, how do I get creative to you know keep the fire going? And no one's stoking it for you. You're in charge of doing that. And I, I, like, I thrive off of that responsibility. Some people do better with structure. And, um, you know, it is in a way you have more mental space freed up when you have a project manager telling you what to do, when it's due, giving you a schedule. You know, you wake up at 8 a.m. every morning. Some people do better with routine. Yeah. And it's all about finding out what works. They find peace in that. Yeah. It's what works best for you, what makes you happy. Um, and
1: going back to mm-hmm. that... Uh, that thing that you were talking about, this whole idea, this is something I feel like as an illustrator Mm -hmm. and then also as a podcaster, all the different areas I feel like we're in this time, Where so much stuff is out there, so much is available. It's easy to get into that rut of you know the postmodern blues of like everything's been done. Why would I do it? You (laughs) draw something, you're like, this looks like a billion other things that could have ever been done over Mm -hmm. history. Like, why am I keep making it? It's garbage. Yes, and you're just like, no. And I feel like you you came up with like at least three really good points to argue against that thing that says it's already been done. Why do you need to do it? Mm -hmm. First thing is you might be the first time that someone interacts with that. So even though you you might think everybody knows Tim Ferriss, you might think everybody knows Tina Reith Eisenberg, right. you don't know that the world is actually massive and they might not have even heard of that, first of all. Exactly, and think then, about... it. go ahead, no. Yeah,
0: Sorry. when you when you introduced me to your friends here, yes. no one knows my work. I'm right. like, I have 100,000 followers, right. that's so tiny. Yeah. I don't expect anyone to know who I and am. And it's
1: massive. And in our, in our corner Gosh. of the world, we think, how could you not know? And I thought, how did <laughs> I introduce you? I'm like, you know this person. And no. they don't, yeah. No. Exactly. And, uh, and, and so you said you could be the first person, the other thing is that might be the flavor that they need to actually get it to stick mm-hmm. and then beyond that you could just be the representation that they need to see themselves in. And so maybe they see Tony Robbins up there or they see Jessica Hish or whatever and they're like yeah great for them, I'm glad they're doing that. Um, and maybe it even sticks with them and maybe it's the first time they heard it but they don't feel inspired because they don't feel like well that could be me. And so there's all these different layers that can encourage you to keep uh, going, even though so much has been done before.
0: Yeah, I think I'll add to that one more small point. You kind of brought it up about, like, you know, what is the worst that can happen, but what is what could go terribly wrong, right? Yes. What could go terribly right? I've been talking a lot with my students about the notion of, again, like, everything's been done before, like, you know, or like, I don't know, like, that's not really my thing, or I'm not super good at that. Like, I don't know if I should keep going. Mm. And they always, they, or it's like, it's too saturated. This is my response to, like, there's too many X types of designers or too many, you know, this kind of work out there. And they're like, oh, well, like, why, why me? Like, I, I, I can't do it. It's too much. And I was like, why not you? Yeah. Like, someone's, and it's, it's the same with the weirdness. Like, you know, if you're not afraid to be the one to put your weird out there, you're gonna be rewarded for it yep. and someone else, you're gonna give someone else permission to be their weird selves as well. And like you said, you gotta embrace your unique flavor and yes. understand and understand that not everyone is going to like it and that's okay. And that's totally um, fine. And that's the thing too, I don't know, I see it a lot with my female students in particular, but also just people who tend to be people pleasers, mm-hmm. I would say, is this idea that you need to be liked by everybody yes. and you don't want to stir and the pot. Please
1: everybody. And,
0: and you yeah. want to be, you know, you don't want to offend anybody. But there's a, what is, I think it's Aristotle. Mm. Don't quote me on that. There's a, <laughs> exa- it
1: amazing. could have
0: been just like a random yeah. like Play Instagram quote. Abraham yeah. Lincoln, it's
1: Mark Twain. Exactly,
0: yeah. Beyonce. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the only way to offend nobody um, is to do to do and say nothing of interest or importance. Yeah. And Absolutely you got to speak your truth. you got to design your truth. And the people who are like, oh, like, I don't like that, they're never going to look at your stuff ever again. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And yeah. I, the third time I bring her up, the bread, the girl who does breadface blog, <laughs> which we're going to look at once this <laughs> podcast is over. Yes. I, I was reading an article with her, and she was saying, like, yeah, I get a lot of hate mail. Like, why are you get doing this? Get a lot this? of hate mail. This for is like your face on. Bread. Yeah, this is like yeah. a waste of time. This is so weird. Like, <laughs> like who 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 does this? But she was saying, she was like, I bet those are the people who leave those comments and then watch ten of my videos. Totally. And that's that's hilarious. really powerful. Yeah, totally. You know, someone. Well, I would honestly argue that someone having someone. Someone loving your work and being really into it and, like, looking through your posts.
1: And it's feel – they're feeling
0: something. The opposite of someone who looks at your stuff and is like, I hate this. This is making me so angry is going to spend the exact same amount of time on your content. Totally. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And they might buy it so they can critique And
0: they're going to remember you and they might talk to you – talk about – you to their friends, being yes. like, I can't believe this Spread person word. Yeah. did this thing.
1: They might be your biggest publicist. You yeah.
0: really that's never good. know. And yeah, so, you know, speaking on publicity, one thing I'll say is, all it takes—and this is something that comes with experience—but all it takes is one of the right shares, one of the mm. right people to see your work to get the ball rolling. That's all it takes. Um, Do you listen to the How I Built This podcast on the Yep. So I was recently listening to the article or the episode with the founder of Spanx. Have you Mm -hmm. listened to that one? I didn't listen to that
1: episode. She was
0: like broke, selling fax machines door to door. Yep. And her idea for Spanx came from a personal problem that her pantyhose had weird lines. And she was pitching the ideas to lots of different manufacturers. No one would give her the time of day because all the people who ran these stocking manufacturers were men. And she got her break because one of the guys happened to go home that night and talk to his teenage daughters and be like, this crazy lady came in with this weird idea and they said,
1: give her a chance. Mm. And now she's
0: a billionaire. Yeah,
1: that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? And actually, uh, I feel really, I might even cut this because it's such a bad reference, but it's so true. (laughs) But So I have to say it, at least in the moment, And it's there's I think it's Viktor Frankl who wrote about this. I could be totally wrong about that. But it's basically people that were in like concentration camps said that he said that the quality that kept people going and I hate to make this connection, but it's the same thing that you're talking about. And it's the thing that where dedication comes from is a mixture of we could never be rescued. So we better keep going and keep working at it or we could get rescued tomorrow. And they're just being this, and for me, that same, like, obviously, this may just be be cut because I do not want to relate. I don't want to, you know, diminish how, you know, terrible that is and and, and relate it to my art career. Uh, But that same thing is a thing that fuels my fire of if I don't keep hammering on this every day and building it bit by bit. Then it's then there might not ever come a day where I just strike the lottery and I get lucky and it all changes overnight. So I better just keep building brick by brick by brick but then also holding that intention with, but you know what someone at uh, you know someone at NBC could be listening to my podcast tomorrow like exactly. so you know and you never know this thing could happen overnight, but I better keep building this brick by brick. exactly like,
0: and I, I like to argue that my when people are like, oh but like who's gonna no one follows me? who's gonna see my work? I've booked jobs because someone's roommate follows me or because yeah. someone's daughter or dad follows me and you never know who's gonna tell someone about your work. And yep. I would argue that famous people, CEOs, millionaires, t- heads at NBC, yeah. they dick around on the internet the same way you same, and I dick around on the does. internet. Yes. We've all been like 80 clicks into some weird blog, like how did I end up here? Yep. And you could be the page that they end up on if you only shared your work. And the brick analogy that you uh, just used is interesting and uh, that definitely resonated with me because the analogy I always use instead of brick by brick is I view posting to a passion project or posting on social media as you get as many at bats as you want by posting Mm -hmm. your work. And every new post, whether it's to your portfolio, a project, your Instagram is a fresh at bat. And just knowing that my the number of at bats that I have is up to me mm-hmm. is amazing. Yes. Like if I want to go up to bat in the same game as everybody else a hundred times, yep. I have the ability to do that. No one's saying that I can't do that. And so I've been using so that. That's really good. I've been using that analogy because you know you never you might hit you might strike out you yeah. might hit a kind of dribbly like you know you get to first base and barely you might hit a home run you mm-hmm. might hit. A pop fly that you think is going to be a home run, and then someone catches it. Yeah. You never know, but you have unlimited. But, no, but nobody else
1: Nobody gets to control how many you exactly. have.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's like lot. Imagine someone said, "You can buy all the lotto tickets you want for the rest of your life." Oh, I was life. just going to go. Wouldn't there. you yeah. go every yep. day? Yep. And get a lotto ticket.
1: And I heard <laughs> uh, I don't listen to Adventures in Design. I, just that mm-hmm. I, it's just not a podcast I really listen to, but I did. My friend Tad Carpenter was on mm-hmm. one, and I listened to his interview. And I, Mark Bricky said the same thing of like every personal piece of work that you make is another lottery ticket. You're just Absolutely. stacking them up. And so, what are you waiting for? Yeah, that's so good. And
0: it's it's a win-win. And people always say like, but what if it doesn't hit the lottery? Or What if it doesn't do what I want it to do? And that's why coming back to the whole idea of a passion project or making passion pieces. If it doesn't do the marketing thing that you wanted it to do, at the very least, if you make something that you like, you have something you like that you're going to put in your portfolio, or you could. Yes. If you make a thing that you, if you're only making it because you think it's going to be good marketing, or you think it's going to position you in the right way.
1: You're going to hit the lottery or whatever. You're
0: going to be so fucking bummed when that doesn't work. Because hitting the lottery is far and few between. I always tell my students, like, it is an anomaly that my first accidental passion project happened to yep. be that. And don't hold yourself to that standard. And yep. it could happen for you. Don't don't doubt that it could, but please do not use that as the metric by totally. which you measure your project against. And you
1: do, You the more you put out there, the more tickets you buy, you will hit some. Some will be $2, some will be 200, but, but the more that you do, the more you stack up. And, exactly. Uh, uh, all right, I'm gonna end it. Okay. We're gonna have to do another episode sometime because there's just too much to <laughs> go too over. much to talk about. I got about. through like three of my questions. Oh no! Uh, but uh, but I'll, I'll end it here, this is a good place to stop. Cool. Uh, this last question is, if you had five minutes with a creative person and you don't know anything else about them, they're just a creative person that want a career in some form of creativity, you don't know what they do, their medium, whatever, What's just one thing that you would want to instill in them that you think could make a difference? One core value, one, uh, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, just something that you're like, you've got to do this, or you've got to have this, or this is the thing that, um, no matter what it is you do, that you've got to have. Like the secret sauce? Yeah. What is the secret, secret sauce? sauce. Yeah.
0: I love all these food analogies.
1: Um, I know, that's all I've got.
0: They're so yeah. good to make because everyone eats and yeah. like, everyone True. Yeah, so can get, relatable. get it. Yep. Yeah, so the secret sauce for like a general... Just like creative. one thing,
1: if you get this, you'll be okay.
0: Yes, Um. I think I'm going to go with that same thing that I talked about before, is that, and you've talked about this too, the, the resourcefulness and the creativity expanding past just your artistic skill set. Yeah. So, you know, the ability to look at what you have and... It's kind of like, I'm gonna use another food analogy, you're Mm. iron chefing it. Mm. You're going to iron chef your entire career. And what that means is, someone's gonna surprise you with an ingredient and you're gonna have to hack it together. And that's just how it's gonna go, especially if you choose the unconventional route of starting your own business, running your own studio, being your own thing. Because I think the, the resourcefulness and the adaptability is a big thing because one thing that happened to me, and this happens over the course of people's careers, whether you do full time or freelance, is curveballs are going to come at you where you might not be prepared or you didn't expect it. Yep. And you're going to have to artistically, creatively, and emotionally adapt to the situation. Mm. Um, and so, a big thing for me, like going from full time to freelance, was changing my mindset and changing those, I think, kind of measures of success in terms of like, you know, I have to make more money than I did last year. In order to say my business is successful. Or right. I have to, you know, you know, speak at these conferences in order to like keep progressing. Like you yeah. gotta set your own standards. And I think that ties into competing against yourself. And mm-hmm. obviously easier said than done because we always have access to a stream of people whose work we admire. Yeah. But it's like in have you ever played Mario Kart? Yeah. <laughs> when you can do those Playing the Ghost. Playing the Ghost. <laughs> you're, you're playing the trial run, right? Yeah. You're totally. playing against your best time. That is really the best advice i could give to any broad creative is play against your mario kart ghost Yes. do not play against your brothers mario kart co- ghost your you know idols mario kart ghost you got to play against your own mario kart ghost and that helps you this creatively it's is so deep emotionally in
1: such a great way that's exactly how i would work <laughs> i actually like it. i'm the queen kart of ghost. taking
0: very complex yeah. subjects and making them like seem so yeah, simple, like, like yeah. dumb almost, right? <laughs> Throw away.
1: I love it. That's but yeah, my whole the, game. The yeah. Mario
0: Kart Mario Kart Ghost. And I mean that's Oh, I love that. that's part yeah, of that's the so being a designer, right? You take these big ideas or thoughts or concepts and you distill them down into a thing that people can stick to or res- yes. resonates with them. And that's what designers especially communication designers, if you're doing anything commercial, that's what you do. You take mm. a complex idea or thought or concept and you make it palatable yep. for a consumer, or for someone who's younger, or a certain audience. And I'm gonna, that, say, t- sorry. No, yeah, gonna yeah. say sorry. No, yeah, no, that that was really it. So, Iron Chefing it, Mario Kart Ghost. Yeah, um, I think I think those are the things that'll carry you through your career. Obviously, passion, but that's that's kind of like a you know everyone says yeah. that, and it's true. Yeah, it um, is true. If you're not passionate you passion. about it, you're not gonna put in the work. You're not gonna do it. And the truth is, like like we were talking about with the bricks and the at bats and the lottery tickets, you have very little control over the outcomes of things in your life and Mm -hmm. if we're just talking about creative things i think one thing that's really helped me in my overall life but in my creative life as well is only getting worked up or being concerned about the things that are within my control that is a huge game changer for me because if i like what can i do about it that was that was the kind of straw on the camel's back or like my aha moment, I guess, with my full time job as I realized, you know, I'm standing around the water cooler like complaining about like, oh, I had to work the weekend and someone's like, oh yeah, I had to work late last night and complaining about the account manager and the client and all these things that are stifling us as creatives. (laughs) And it's so easy to get into that circle of like, me too, me too, me too, I have it worse, I have it worse, I have it worse. And I realized I was like, okay, client's not gonna change, agency structure's not gonna change work, like agency culture is not gonna change. Oh my God, like I'm the only variable left, yes. whoa. Right. And it was just this mind blowing, it's pretty like profound thought at 22 years old, totally. I would say. Yeah. I was like, wow, like, Am I the only variable left to change? And then once I realized that it was well within my control to change, I was like, easy, done.
1: Yep. Like out of here. And it's that same, it goes back to that resourcefulness of saying you're stuck on the island. These are the things that you have. You can complain that I wish I had a, you know, I've got yeah, matches, totally. I need a light or I need, you know, or all the things, you can sit around and look at all the things you've got and say, all the reasons why it's terrible and you should have 10 different things. But in, instead of doing that saying, what can I do with these things? What can I do with this client? What can I do with this job? You know, all that good stuff. That's awesome.
0: Absolutely, and what you were saying too, the creativity bleeding, like anything is possible. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't ask or you don't pitch it or you don't say something, the answer is always gonna be no. So part of being creative is being, is using your creativity
1: Oh. We're getting a phone call. Oh, that I wish that Caller was a nine. Phone call in. Uh,
0: <laughs> I know, but...
1: I don't want to... Do, we'll just leave it. You yeah. can keep talking. Okay. If, um, if you can focus with that. I was
0: going to say, uh, having the creative part, but again, this is another answer to your question, but yeah. it's one thing to have the idea, to talk about the idea, to say you're going to do it. The Really, the thing that makes the difference is actually doing it getting and involved. having the... Being proactive enough to especially if you're not in an agency or working alone. And with, with passion projects, they're all self-started, unless you yep. have like a really like intense best friend who's like your creative personal yes. trainer. <laughs> um, and that's what a business coach is, right? A creative personal trainer or a business personal trainer, mm-hmm. someone who makes you show up and you're accountable yeah. to. But really having the self-initiation or the drive to say, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna follow through. I'm gonna this. follow through. It's yeah. really the follow through. and. I'm gonna use another baseball analogy. i played softball in high right. school, so I'm used to all this terminology. <laughs> lots of ice cream, lots of baseball. Yeah. Like I can see how our like experiences have bled into the More kind of car. metaphors we use. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest part of when you're at when you're at bat, you can see the ball, you hit the ball, but what is gonna make the ball go far is the follow through. Mm-hmm. Same with the golf swing, same with a lot of other sports things is not just the moment that the bat touches the ball, but the follow through afterwards that yep. people don't pay attention to. Because the moment that the you know, ball hits the metal, that's the exciting part, but it's the follow through. And I would I would say that you know having an idea is the ball hitting the bat, mm-hmm. but the follow through is the will to keep working on the project. Even,
1: and I, I just talked about that in the last episode is that one of the things I've learned is that, uh, that the, the key moments are the middle marathon where it's, no, like I'll start a project. Mm-hmm. I would started a project. You get a little fanfare, a little beginner's luck, some good stuff mm-hmm. going on. You're excited, but you committed to this giant thing. Halfway through, everybody's like, we don't care, man. We've seen it, man. Like We know you're doing this thing. Even with the podcast, I feel like not that the podcast episodes, maybe not themselves, but like the artwork, they expect it. It's a service. And but then I'll get people coming to the woodwork, people that I'm major fans of saying, man, I love all of the episode artwork. And it's like, oh, why aren't you liking it on Instagram so I know, like, <laughs> but, yeah. which all of that's irrelevant. All of that to say that it's that follow through, it's when, when you feel like nobody's watching, it doesn't matter if I finish, who cares, What is it gonna even pay off anyway? But you keep going through the commitment because you decided you are gonna do that thing. And i found that it's that middle time and going through the other side that ends up paying off big time.
0: Absolutely. Totally true. Um, You know, I, based on that Instagram thing you just said, it reminded me of something that I think would be helpful to younger designers is I, I think two years ago, got an email from someone at Google being like, Mm -hmm. hey, I follow you on Instagram, I love your work, Um, I wanna work with you, I've been waiting to have a project for you. And I find out later that this guy's been following me for three years, works at Google, and was just waiting till he had a project for me and yep. never even, like, didn't know who he was, didn't notice any likes, like, how and could just you? Just think
1: about you stopped two years ago for whatever circumstance. Yes,
0: exactly, and so a thing that, you know, because our, our brains are so jumbled with stuff all the time and we're having feeds of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, to show up in someone's feed or to show up in someone's, you know, browser, even on a weekly basis is really mm. powerful because it just keeps, even if they don't like your stuff. Reminds that you exist. Yeah. It's like a, hey, here I am. I'm still there, still doing stuff. Especially if you're providing some value too and they get to associate you with the kind of person who does this kind of thing. What I can say from having agency experience is if I'm an art director at an agency who needs an illustrator for a project, art directors have folders and lists of people they want to work with already and they're just waiting for projects to give to people. And at an agency, because things are so busy, as an art director, I don't have the time to do four hours on Illustrator research. I don't. No, no. I'm gonna give my art buyer the top three that I know off the right, top of thinking. my head. Yep. And,
1: and it's out of sight, out of mind.
0: You gotta be, like, you're, the goal with consistently posting, with doing a passion project is you gotta wiggle your way into that top three or four. Yep. Yep. You wanna be that go-to person and once you get the chance and you do a good job, you're in. Yep. Like That's how I got started with editorial work. I got one editorial job, not even a magazine, not even a cover, yep. just an inside uh, spread for LA Magazine, yep. which is a pretty decent circulation. Within the next six months, 12 magazine jobs.
1: Yep, exactly. That's just how it goes. That's you just totally gotta wiggle your pinky toe into the door. That's <laughs> right. And uh, I've got just two things I want to share with you, sure. and we can wrap it up. Yeah, let's do it. We've been jamming for some time <laughs> now. Uh, I love that. Uh, I just want to go back real quick to you talking about the... Um, the race and the ghost and Mario Kart. Yeah. My friend Andrew Nyer, Do you know him?
0: Sounds super familiar. He, he makes.
1: A, he's a product designer. He was an illustrator. He makes these amazing lights. He, I'll, I'll show you yes, his Instagram because he's he's amazing. He's one of my best friends. And uh, he he talks about how he had a teacher at Micah that told him like your whole goal is to look back six months from now and think that work is just the worst. Yes, You just wanna set it on fire and if you can just compete with yourself that way and try to improve. I feel like uh, there are a lot of people that are not willing to uh, grow because they want this consistency in their work or there's all kinds of reasons why people get stagnant in it. But I totally love that idea of just constantly competing with yourself. Um, That's amazing and uh, Anyway, I'm not going to go any further. We've done we've done more than enough. You've got you brought tons of value to this oh, thing, thank and uh, you. I think this is uh yeah. This is going to be one of the favorites. So I think so it's going to be
0: a good one. I don't do podcasts very often, so uh, thanks for doing this. It should be a thanks fun Thanks for one. taking
1: all this time. Absolutely. Out and doing
0: it. When I mean, when I got invited to come to Columbus, I was like. Yeah, sure. What's in Columbus? Then I realized you were in Columbus. Danielle Evans is in Columbus. Yep. My agent is actually in Columbus. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: It's, it's so so good. It's a good. It's a good uh, place. There's all kinds of stuff going on.
0: Yeah. It seems like a cool spot, and should Detroit not pan out, uh, I'll right. see you around <laughs> See you around here.
1: We've got good food. We've it's got a big really one. good food.
0: Big one. And Cleveland, I'm sorry. I know you we have know good food. We know you're
1: awesome, too. I know you're awesome, too. Yes. Hilarious. <laughs> well, thank you so much.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, that episode was a doozy! Man, so many good things. She was firing off so much brilliance. I feel like uh, we have similar personalities and that we think about this stuff all the time and try tons of different things. And she called it resourcefulness. I always call it strategy. But I think that, uh, yeah, we're cut from a similar cloth and I had a really good time talking to her and I'm sure you guys got tons and tons and tons from her. Uh, go follow her on Instagram at homsweethom, uh, H-O-M, sweet, H-O-M. Uh, you won't regret it. Tons of good inspiration and, and value there. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much. I had a blast having you on the podcast. And uh, hey, thanks to everybody listening. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band Metavari, Metavari. Uh, for all the other great tunes. Thanks to Alex Sug for editing this thing so beautifully. And thanks to all of you guys listening. Uh, it means so much to uh, have this relationship over the internet, this cyber-ship, cyber-relationship sh- cyber with you. Um, <laughs> sounds, sounds weird. Sorry. Anyway, thanks for listening. Was what I'm trying to say. And until next week, stay pepped up.